I have to say right now I'm, I'm feeling very happy. And I was not feeling happy much of the day. And it really reminds me of the capacity to, to turn our mind uh, toward that which gladdens our heart, that which is wholesome and helpful and how easy it is to also fall to the lowest common denominator and, and um, perpetuate or proliferate um, in uh, things that cause us to feel unhappy. And I don't know about you, but um, I was so unhappy that I started just writing a little bit things that I would want to say to you, but things that I was really saying to myself because I felt a little lost when I tuned into that, that um, news conference today, the, which was quite stunning and something I had never seen in this lifetime where the, the um, so-called commander-in-chief, um, I, I, I try not to mention the name anymore, <laughs> but, uh, you could, but it, it just was so, it was such, so stunningly void of any kind of wisdom and love and consciousness, just the, the, um, the hater, the, the vindictive, the, the conceited, you know, in chief, whatever you want to call it, it just, I don't usually get so moved, but I was just quite shaken, and, and I actually like to refer to my notes, which I often don't do, but I wanted to share a little bit what, what I went through, and I thought it might be instructive for, for how we can really understand our present cult, you know, country, you know, national circumstances uh, in a way that's useful. Oh, for those of you who who did not um, who did not tune into the news, which I maybe maybe that's a good thing. Today, uh, today, uh, the president engaged in a, um, a free flowing, you could say, news conference, which was expected to be about the new programs for to develop the infrastructure, and turned into a a basically a diatribe about the the false equivalence between those who are white supremacists, the so-called alt-right, and the and the alt-left, and he just went went heavily into um, supporting the 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 alt-right, basically supporting, saying it was good people, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, it was just so unhinged that it was just another reminder. I didn't think it could, could I had, didn't think I would see that to that extent in my life. I know for people who are, who are targeted, marginalized, etc., uh, this is nothing new under the sun, but for the, the level of, to have someone in that role so void of being, uh, um, having a moral compass, having a big view that, encompasses that takes to heart every person in the country. It's, it's a little bit shocking for me, I just have to say. And so I felt a little lost with this. Um, and knowing I had to be here tonight, and, and I'm just so happy that, I, that, 
that in the middle of it all, that I, what I often share and what I often practice, it, it worked. I actually, I felt as though I found a, a certain kind of balance and, and ease. And the world hasn't changed, but it's possible to be at peace even when the world is not at peace. Anyway, getting back to, I wanted to share a little bit of what I scribbled. And so I, my, the question that came to my mind is, where are the adults? <laughs> and I immediately remembered being at the 20th anniversary of the Insight Meditation Society. And the Insight Meditation Society, for those of you who don't know what it is, it's the, the sister center, really the, the founding center that out of which Spirit Rock came. So it's the sister center on the East Coast. And from, from the East Coast, from Insight Meditation Society, some of the teachers moved west and Spirit Rock was born. And now these two big world centers are... So we were at the, I was at the 20th anniversary of Insight Meditation Society. And Sharon Salzberg, one of the founding teachers of IMS, gave a little lecture, giving some of the history. And the first comment she made was, there's no more adult supervision. It's us. And it was the same feeling today. There is no adult supervision. It really is up to each of us to navigate this circumstance. Each of us and all of us together. That we cannot expect at this point to be led by sanity. Even whatever kind of idealism you may have been carrying, I think if it, if it doesn't get punctured at some point, it seems to me it, we need to look at it really honestly. And so, uh, so, the, so we have to take matters into our own hands. And so for me, that means do your practice. Really do your practice. Protect those who need to be protected. Be active and join those who, who need help in, in further, furthering protecting our environment, protecting each other, protecting our diversity. And practice day in and day out, especially to open, open our hearts. And not to fall into the, the lowest uh, common denominator of hatred, because it's it's very easy to, to other the people who we disagree with, or I disagree with. And so my own practice is to, is to not even put the, the most difficult person, and you may know who I'm referring to, the difficult person, and all those who, who follow and support, who are really entrenched in a certain kind of paradigm and view, uh, not to put them out of my heart and to keep trying to understand them and to remember again and again the line from the Dhammapada, hatred never ceases by hatred, but by love alone. And, and one of the ways for me, because of the, the mingling so um, in the teachings, and it just makes sense, the mingling of wisdom and love, the more wisdom we have, the more understanding we have, the more... Uh, it is, the easier it is to keep our hearts open. So it's very easy to, 
to just reify the different others that we, that we see who have very, very different views and opinions. But those others are made up of individuals. And those individuals are made up of their families and their communities and their culture. And that anything you see today in this world is systemic. That there's not one of the people who you disagree with that exist independently from all the myriad, myriad influences, including us sitting here. This is one of the influences. And to the degree that we are oblivious to the plight of any, any part of us, we are in some way complicit with the, with the arising and the, and the uh, proliferation of views and opinions that are hateful <clears throat> and divisive. So our, our, my own role is in, or my own practice is to keep informed is to not, and to not just, uh, not just informed in a kind of addictive way that I notice that, you know, especially with smartphones and computers, it's really easy to kind of get addicted and get into the, pol the political theater of it and the, and the competitiveness of it and who's going to win and all that, but to, but to really get informed and to keep, keep doing that with, a, with an open heart, deepen our understanding. And, and I think that the, I, I wrote something here that I kind of scribbled. Yeah, and I think it's also important to, thinking of systemic, that it's important to, to have more understanding of the economic causes and conditions that lead, that that, that is, that, that the economic disparity is systemic and it is a, it's a direct cause of people feeling feeling groundless and then as many of you've probably already heard in the in the news that those who are a lot who are the, the demographic of those who are really engaged in in these uh, these white supremacist movements often there's a preponderance of people who've come from families that had intense abuse or um, excessive uh, substance use and abuse and, and groundless in so many ways that, that it's very easy for them to hook onto a, a kind of philosophy that, that reinforces the identity, some kind of identity, that even if it's distorted, it's it's, it, you can see how it, how, it, how it arises through circumstances. And so it, it moves beyond just the, the blame game. And we see that we're, in some ways we are all also complicit in the institutionalized disparity in opportunity and, uh, and it, on that level. But then there are those things that are just in some ways part of the unfolding of, of culture, the... the the expansion of the of the um, mechanization of of our culture, and it's so just so many issues. So it's not as simple as us and them. It's, there's many, many big issues, and to let ourselves feel the pain of that, of not knowing. Like I felt lost. I don't know. I don't have the answers, but I know I want to keep informed. I want to keep my understanding growing. 
And this, this dualism of, of the, the, the dualism of the white supremacists and then others, and I, you know, I, being a, I'm in some ways during this particular, this particular uh, strain of, of divisiveness and hatred, one of the central targets of the, of the, uh, this movement are, are Jews. And, you know, I come from a Jewish background, I don't mind saying that. And, uh, and uh, now why did I talk about that? Well, I think it's something about the comparing, you know, the divided mind is always comparing who's got more, who's got less. And so whoever who's getting targeted has something to do with the comparing mind. And so for each of us, for every single thing that we see in this grand scale, we also have those strains in our own mind of comparing, of, of, of othering others, putting them down, trying to find some way to to redress some feeling of, of lack, some feeling of insufficiency. And it, it causes us to hold certain views and opinions. And, uh, and so you can see that you can, we can see our own kinds of dualism, our own kinds of ways that we separate through just the habit of the comparing mind, of putting ourselves above, below, or equal to others. It's very central to the Buddha's teaching on on wise view and the view of and the distorted perception that we exist in alone apart from each other the distorted perception that there is this entity here called me that's describable that's comparable that is that somehow the the one I like to use the metaphor the one wave that's gotten separated from the ocean and it's who's it's not doing so well the fact is we're all part of this net of interbeing and net of interconnectedness. And it's true for every single person as part of this, part of, part of the, this, um, what appears, relatively speaking, as a very divided country. And we experience ourselves a feeling of being divided when each of us, in spite of feeling so separate and cut off and so measurable, we are... As my teacher put it, and my, my teacher Punji, he says, you're neck deep in grace. Every one of us is, is actually immersed in a, in a sense of fullness and wholeness that doesn't maybe match our, the version of ourselves that plays in our mind, but we, we actually have so many riches. As Thich Nhat Hanh put it, you are the richest person on earth. We've been going around begging for a living. So that we, we have to find that. We have to remember that, that part of us that's both whole, but also notice the ways that we divide again and again, day in and day out. Who are you doing that with? In your, who are you mad at? Who are you doing that to in your office or in your family? Who's, who's getting othered? Who are you doing it to in your neighborhood? Here's what... Um, Here's what Pema Chodron said about this. I thought this was pretty delicious. Who's on your list? Boss, coworker, spouse, roommate, mother, father, child. Who are the people you really dislike and wish would simply go away? 
Be grateful to them. They're your own special gurus, showing up right on time to keep you honest. It's the troublemakers in your life who cause you to see that you've shut down, that you've armored yourself, that you've hidden your head in the sand. If you didn't get angry at them, if you didn't get fed up with them, you would never be able to cultivate patience. If you didn't envy them, if you weren't jealous of them, you would never think to stretch beyond your mean-spiritedness and try to rejoice in their good fortune. If you never met your match, you might think you were better than everybody else and arrogantly criticize their neurotic behavior rather than do something about your own. Pema Chodron. So we have this opportunity to do something about our own. And that's why we practice. That's why we practice loving kindness. As the, um, as the teachings in, the, in Mahayana Buddhism suggest from, the, from, the, um, from Padmasambhava, said, so sensitive in ecology is the interdependence of all that the slightest attention and assistance to others creates moral elevation for ourselves and humanity, while the slightest indifference or neglect toward others creates moral harm for ourselves and our civilization. The faintest spark of ill will toward other beings can burst forth into a terrible forest fire consuming vast expanses of sympathetic joy. Even the faintest negative reaction or malicious wish opens wide channels throughout our entire being for life-destroying poisons of negation and life-obscuring shadows of self-cherishing. That idea that I think you understand. So I'll just read on for a moment just to get the gist of it. Cast far away from all precious humanity, these lethal doses, these ominous shadows, by cultivating instinctive admiration and love for those who practice the way of selflessness. Adore such bodhisattvas for their irreversible vow to remain intimate with the struggle of living beings as beacons of love and as the light of panoramic vision. Now to me, I see these beings as you, as those who are willing to practice, those who are willing to go against the stream of just feeding the othering and feeding the hatred, feeding the ill will, even, those, even though the impulse to, um, to be pissed off is so strong. To notice you're pissed off, but, but to learn patience, to learn to, to keep in your heart, even those who you have, who, who, are, who challenge you to look more deeply, to have more understanding so that that place in your heart doesn't shut down because who gets harmed when your heart is closed? Who, do, who gets harmed when you hate somebody? You do. It's like you, you, um, you know, each time you've, each time you foment in your own mind ill will, it's like you're, um, you're drinking poison and you hope someone else will die. It's 
pretty nasty, isn't it? <laughs> Please. If, if you get... Well, what do you do with the anger when you're feeling incredibly angry with someone and you don't want to suppress it? You know, what we talk about in the Dharma, and you know, I, I, we have to be our own authority about how we work with it, but in general we say don't suppress it, but don't act it out either. And don't expect it to subside right away. But feel it. Let it, let it, let it ferment you. Let it... Let it let yourself feel how painful it is to have anger. If nothing more, it will develop some self-compassion for out of, how out of control you feel. Secondly, you'll see that it is a changing condition. It's not permanent. And you, and you won't cause harm by acting it out. So you don't suppress it. You don't act it out. You feel it. You let it, you, you let it be your, your Dharma practice. And in general, in terms of speaking to somebody, you, I love the... I don't know how many of you were able to be with Ange Angelus Arian, who, who passed away, and she was a wonderful um, anthropologist and um, I, healer, an amazing person. And she had a very simple line that she borrowed from Native American tradition of saving your anger till the next day. So you sit with it, you let it ferment a little bit, and usually by the next day, if you've actually been attending to it, uh, then it... Uh, it does subside, and you've learned something instead of, instead of compounding it by dumping it on whoever it is that you're, you tend to. I got angry at my daughter the other day, just one of those, you know, four times I tried to enter into her space, and each time it was, there was, she was, didn't want to have anything to do with me, and instead I felt, I felt a little bit of a, a little collapse inside, and I didn't want to feel that, so I got mad. But I, by sitting with it, I, you know, after a few, you know, moment, I said, "Oh, I just felt diminished by her not letting me in." And so it's it's useful to to hang out with that because no one's making me angry. No one ever makes us angry. The neighbor doesn't even make us angry. The neighbor does what they do. My daughter Molly does what she does, and then it, it goes through this whole process of an internal, an internal. Um, you know, reverberation, and it often has to mix in with all my views and opinions. My daughter's supposed to talk to me when I want to. She's supposed to want to talk to me. <laughs> I think I told you the one where I, one morning she came down in the last month, came downstairs, and I said, you know, it's nice to say good morning. <laughs> she just walks by, and I said, it's nice to say good morning. And she says, no one does that anymore. And then she said, that's for, that's for old people. <laughs> anyway, so we work with, we, she, she can't make me angry. I can get angry, but it has to do with my own reaction, my own views about how she should be, or my frustrated desire. So it, sometimes it flies off before we have a chance to really catch it, but I think it, all of us, if we could find that, enough continuity of mindfulness for it to show up in those moments 
when we start to feel it, we would cause ourselves and others so much less suffering. So it's, it's worth practicing more just so that you do catch it. And feeding the story of it has never made anybody feel better. And that often is what keeps it going. We build the case for the prosecution and the plan, the revenge, and the this and the that. And, and, all we, and it, it, you could save so much suffering by just feeling it. Oh, this is anger. Anger's like this. And it really hurts. And we get a lot more sympathy for ourselves if we feel it too. And our heart opens the other person faster too. So where was I? <laughs> Are you still with me? Okay, let's see what else I wrote here. So I, I started to talk about this before, but I think some of the the reactive patterns, some of the, the, um, the inability to just be with the reality that's happening. You know, that's central in the Buddha's teaching is you want to keep your heart open, you want to cultivate loving kindness, but there's so much pain in the world. And so in order to, in order to be able to keep, have some resilience and to have some balance, then you remember that, that um, that, that um, although things are not as I would like them to be, or I can't necessarily understand why they are the way they are, things are as they are. Things are as they are whether I like it or not. And although I wish they were otherwise, things are as they are. And I want to I be able to have some sense of balance and poised to be able to just see, oh, in some way, this is nothing new under the sun. And it's not to minimize what's going on. It's just really feel it, but oh, this is, this is this part of our nature. And, you know, we, I'm thinking right now of the, our, the systemic racism and, you know, and every, all of our, our cultural um, problems. They're, they're so built in. And that that if, I, if I'm railing about it in my mind, or if I'm hiding away in my, uh, in my um, busyness, I brought along tonight, it may not feel so relevant, but to me it feels really relevant to how I deal with, with a world that's so, um, so hard to understand and, and challenging to keep our sense of balance that here's one way, that one way is to remember every day, is to practice every day that, that internal reflection, that everything is the result of, of systemic causes and conditions. Each person, you know, to remember the law of karma and to, to know that, that the way the world is, as much as I will try to change it in ways that are, are helpful to people, things are, are not in my control. And the, the reflections that cause me to find more balance so that I don't get so, so caught and overwhelmed. So another option is to stay distracted. Is to stay so plugged in to whatever you're working on or whatever you're trying to fill up every single moment so that you don't have to really take it in. And unfortunately, I think that's made us lunatics. So here's, this is a, 
something I've read here before, but I'd like to share it again tonight, at least pieces of it, to hopefully consider how you spend your day, whether or not you do infuse your day with space, the space to feel your sadness or your anger, the space to, to reflect on the, on the way things are in the world and finding balance in it. Here's from Mark Morford, bloggist, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle blogger and cool guy. This is entitled, Hurry Up, Get More Done, and Die. <laughs> Your terrifying word of the day is microtasking. Comes by way of a relatively humble, ostensible, uh, ostensibly helpful article I read via one of those perky little DIY blogs that exist to tell you a million ways to tweak and hack your entire existence to gain maximum productivity, efficiency, and improved overall time management because, well, if that's not the true meaning of this manic American life, what is? The advice was horrifyingly simple. When you find yourself pausing in between normal projects and work tasks for anything more than, say, 30 seconds, why not take those tiny moments and, well, do more things? I mean, you're just sort of sitting there, right? What sort of things? Fast things, little things, otherwise inconsequential things that you don't care about otherwise, like clearing your junk mail, refilling the stapler, changing your voicemail message, retweeting someone's Twitter blip, or giving a momentary damn about something you need not give a damn about otherwise. But hey, what else are you going to do? Breathe, feel, merely exist? What are you, a hippie? It's, it's a fascinating and, yes, terrifying idea, really, that if you could just maximize your output a little bit more, if you could cram into all open white space another thing to do, wow, think of all you could get done by the end of the day. Think of how much you could get checked off your list. Think of how pleased your manager would be and how annoyed your colleagues and how God would look upon you more favorably because we all know God loves nothing more than the fact that you finally organized your pile of dust rags by smell. <laughs> I want to just jump a little bit. Uh, yes, we're Americans. We are, by and large, by and large, utterly terrified of silence, stillness, spaciousness, the doing of nothing as to feel the totality of everything. Meditation for most is disquieting and strange. Deep quiet feels weird and dangerous, a void aching to be filled. The internet has us convinced that the world is a roaring fire hose of urgent information. If you can't swallow it all, well, something must be wrong with you. In any 48-hour period in the year 2010, says a stunning bit I read in The Atlantic by the way of entrepreneur Yuri Milner, more data was created than had been created by all of humanity in the past 30,000 years. By the year 2020, that same amount of data will be created in a single hour. Go ahead, swallow hard. It's no longer possible to sit quietly on the park bench without checking your Facebook feed, chatting with Siri, and waving to a CCTV camera. It is no longer possible to be astonished at the wonder of your footfalls along the forest path and not feel the urge to check email, find the nearest Starbucks, hipstamatic the hell out of the, a beautiful fallen tree. You cannot just sit in your car 
along a quiet country road without the GPS beeping that you took the wrong turn as OnStar politely blows up your car. How easily we forget time expands, time contracts, work will swell or diminish to fill a given space. You can do 10 things in an hour or one thing in 10. You can go to Spirit Rock Meditation Center for two solid weeks and do absolutely nothing but wander the grounds in silence for 12 hours a day and time will look at you like you're utterly insane as your breath and body thank you for all eternity. You can conversely microtask until your heart implodes and time merely will laugh and snort and find someone else to destroy. So we want to, um, we want to uh, follow the strains of our consciousness that are hopefully lead us to more connection with each other, more open-heartedness, more sensitivity to social justice, or rather than follow the strains that lead to that, that absolute frenzy of compulsive doing and then that feeds that compulsive thinking about ourselves. And I, I, can, I think I'll just end by bringing in the choice that is offered to us moment by moment, day by day, uh, from the Native American story, the Cherokee story, about a grandfather from the Cherokee Nation who was talking to his grandson. He said, a fight is going on inside of me, he said to the boy. It's a terrible fight in between two wolves. One wolf is evil and ugly, is anger, envy, war, greed, self-pity, sorrow, regret, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, selfishness, and arrogance. The other wolf is beautiful and good, he is friendly, joyful, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, justice, fairness, empathy, generosity, true compassion, gratitude, and deep vision. The same fight is going on inside of you and inside of every other human as well. The grandson paused in deep reflection because of what the grandfather had just said, and then he finally cried out, Grandfather, which wolf will win? And the elder, grand, the elder Cherokee replied, The one that you feed. So may we all feed the, the causes of happiness, of love, of wisdom, and... Uh, and be mindful of those causes in us of, of unhappiness and not follow them. And then for just the world right now, I end with uh, the Reverend Zenju Earthland Manuel's poem called May All Beings. And I think we need to remember all beings tonight. May all beings be cared for and loved, be listened to, understood, and acknowledged despite different views. Be accepted for who they are in this moment.
be afforded patience, be allowed to live without fear of having their lives taken away or their bodies violated. May all beings be well in its broadest sense, be fed, be clothed, be treated as if their life is precious, be held in the eyes of each other as family. May all beings be appreciated, feel welcomed anywhere on the planet, be freed from acts of hatred and desperation, including war, poverty, slavery, and street crimes. Live on the planet housed and protected from harm. Be given what is needed to live fully without scarcity. Enjoy life without fear of one another. Be able to speak freely in a voice and mind of undeniable love. May all beings receive and share the gifts of life. Be given time to rest, be still, and experience silence. May all beings be awake. So may whatever usefulness there was from our time together, any blessings, any goodness, any merit, any benefits, may they be shared with all beings with that same wish that all beings can Find happiness and peace and safety, health and strength and ease of well-being. May all beings develop the resilience to an equanimity to deal with the joys and the sorrows of this life because they are inevitable. May all beings be liberated. Thanks for mucking around with me and my own, not my own, but in our confusion and heartbreak. Anyway, thank you for your practice. Thanks for your generosity. Hope to see you all Sunday at Spirit Rock and hopefully next week too. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.